Okay, are you having trouble hearing me? Do you need to turn up the radio? Do you have trouble listening to conversations? Maybe you can't pick out voices in the pub. Maybe your ears aren't working quite as well as they used to. Well, I guess today is a pioneer of hearing research. She's an energetic scientist and entrepreneur helping the growing number of us who are having problems following conversations. As my great pleasure to welcome to Fuzzy Logic, Dr. Elaine Saunders, hearing specialist, researcher, and managing director of Blamey and Saunders. Hello, Elaine. Hello, Rod, and thank you for asking me to the show. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Elaine, how bad is Australia's hearing problem? It costs us billions, literally, in direct and indirect costs. And there are four out of five people who have hearing problems in Australia do nothing about it. It's about three billion people, three million people. And what does it mean to the average person to have hearing loss? It means exactly as you described it. They, for most people who have mild hearing loss, it means they start to find it hard to hear in difficult situations and it's a bit like walking around with lead weights on your feet and wondering why your legs are tired at the end of the day it's it's tiring um it affects almost every aspect of your life it's a form of sensory deprivation really and it goes on to cause even worse problems in that the hearing nerves that aren't getting enough activity kind of lose their function so it affects the hearing nerves and it affects the brain so it's, it's pretty severe to do nothing about it. So does it have a real economic impact on an individual apart from their social Oh, effects? absolutely. It's very well documented that untreated hearing loss um, restricts uh, career growth. It, at its extreme, it may be unemployment. At its less uh, extreme, it may be underemployment. You know, maybe you miss that promotion because your boss thinks that you're not paying attention or you've got a bit vague uh, it has very direct effects there. And when corrected, there is just about a 100% um, uh, correction rate in terms of career growth. So now your background, you have a history with the Australian Cochlear Implant Project. Now most of our listeners will be well familiar with that uh, project, making a real difference to people who have profound mm-hmm. hearing loss because of the cochlear. What, what was your involvement with the cochlear implant? I became a little bit involved in uh, the program in the UK before I came to Australia. And when I came out to Australia, I actually came and worked as a clinical audiologist at um, the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne. And then I took some time off and had uh, four children where I worked a little bit in audiology and a little bit in a few other things. And when I went back to work full-time, I thought I really want to get back into the research full-time. So I went to the Bionic Ear Institute and asked Professor Graham Clark for a a job. Mm. And uh, Graham, who has been a bit of a mentor, um, took me on. So can you you describe the the cochlear implant? I mean, it sounds nice and easy, just, you know, drill a hole in the side of the head and insert something. What does it actually look like? Yeah, it's a little bit more complicated than that. I'm extremely impressed with the uh, research that's gone on in Australia in cochlear implants over the last uh, 30 years, I suppose. Um, it's the, the, the cochlea is not right on the edge of the head. It's, um, it's 
a few millimetres in. So a challenge for getting uh, an electrode into the cochlea is that it's got to be inserted down a sort of narrow, dark, straight tunnel but needs to be curly when it gets into the cochlea. So the cochlear implant um, is a way of bypassing the middle ear and the coding system in the inner ear and taking the stimulation to the brain by an electrical signal. So uh, the easy conception of the cochlear implant is that I have a bung cochlea, I have the implant, and now my hearing is pretty much as what it would be. But what sort of quality of hearing would a person have with one of those? It's hard to describe. It's hard, I think, for someone with normal hearing to describe the quality. What I would rather describe is the result in that I've seen many um, adults go from no hearing to hearing in background noise extremely well. And with children who have cochlear implants early, uh, they're speaking pretty much normally by the time they get into school. So if we look at the results and what the brain does with that incoming sound, it's um, extremely effective. So you've seen it make a real difference to someone who otherwise would have profound hearing loss? Oh, absolutely huge. Uh, and I was privileged to be part of um, the program that developed um, the latest generation of electrodes. And if I can just mention the young woman who was the first recipient of that n newer generation of electrodes, uh, she was managing with almost no hearing as an actor, and it was my privilege some years later to help her choose her wedding music. And that counts as one of the happier moments of my life. Wow. What, so with the cochlear implant, she could hear her wedding music? Absolutely. What a wonderful thing that must be. Yeah, yes, it, it, I, I was just thrilled. Um, she is a very good user and she's also very articulate about how she hears sound. So it's it's not sound as you and I might hear it, but it's very effective and it's a really good demonstration of how the brain uh, adapts itself to hearing, to interpreting sounds in a different way. Right. So now a particular challenge of the cochlear implant is the electrode, the thing that actually connects to the hearing nerve. Yes. What, what are some of those challenges? Uh, fundamentally, the cochlear is very, very tiny and it's a very complex uh, structure. It's a very delicate structure. So the challenge is to get uh, a, a number of electrodes enough to, um, to get in a complex sound into a very tiny space. So the process, it, the process works by having something a bit like a hearing aid on the outside which codes the sound and then it's transmitted um, to the implant itself which is embedded in the skull. It's, very, again, very thin, very small and that signal is then transmitted into the electrode in the ear where the um, impulses go to the, to the brain. So the challenges are that it's got to be medically safe uh, it mustn't cause any damage and it has to reproduce a very complex world of sound and reproduce the function of the inner ear. Right. Are there any challenges because it's a foreign body inserted into your body? Uh, there are constraints. The, the, the materials that it's made of have to be um, biocompatible is the technical word, yeah. but they have to be uh, suitable for staying in the body and in the body's chemicals and for a long time, possibly forever. Oh, and do they last forever? Do, you know, do they have to be changed at some stage? 
usually not. Um, in Australia, Cochlear's um, tagline is partners for life. If they do have to be changed, then they're constructed in such a way that it's possible. But the outside components are upgradable, so usually they don't have to be changed. Well, I'm, I'm seeing more people these days walking around. You can see that distinctive little coil on the side of the head. Yeah. Can, you, can you describe that for us? The coil is um, held, held by a magnet to the implant, which is embedded in the skull, and that, that's where the information is transmitted by a radio frequency through the, through the skin and through the skull to the implant. So there's no wires actually going through the skin, or is it just no. a, it's just an no. induction loop? Is it? That's right. It, well, it's a mag magnet, and then the signal is um, radio frequency. I think. Uh, do, do you have to change the batteries? <laughs> you do have to change the batteries. Um, I think in any wearable device, uh, be it a consumer device or a medical device, batteries are batteries are the thing that controls the size of the device and the convenience. Right. But you have an interesting personal story, I think. Now, how is it that you came into the field of hearing research? It's a longish story that probably started when I was a child, although I couldn't have predicted the future. My dad um, had otosclerosis, which is a condition of the middle ear, which can go into the inner ear, which meant he lost his hearing in his early 30s. I have to admit that as a child I thought he was a bit embarrassing at times because he said some slightly strange things. But as I got older he lost his hearing almost completely and that would have been the, the 50s and early 60s so he was really not able to access the sort of technology that we can access today. He'd have been a great cochlear implant user if he'd lived long enough. Um, but because of his um, concern for the problems of hearing loss, he got me involved working as a volunteer in the local school for deaf children. And in the 60s, uh, late, mid to late 60s, schools for deaf children were in England, mostly oral, which meant that the children had to speak, but they hadn't got very good hearing aids and there were no cochlear implants. So many of them had no communication at all. And I just knew that I had to hang into this field somehow or other. I didn't quite know how. So I went off to university and got a science degree. So was it the fact that you were doing something for a person? Was it the person or the technology and the science that attracted you? A bit of both. Uh, I wanted to be in science, and I thought that I could make most difference that way. It was clear to me that I didn't really want to be a teacher, uh, although I admired the work that the teachers of the deaf were doing. So I really wanted to make some contribution scientifically, but I didn't really know quite how. But I think it set the scene where I've taken advantage of um, technologies and enabling technologies as they've emerged, and I've been drawn to people who are really clever at finding solutions, and I think I've become quite good at putting teams together of clever scientists Ah, uh, so you're harnessing the energy of talented people, is that right? That's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright, Rod. <laughs> 2012. <laughs> so what, what, what motivates you? Oh, I'm making a difference. I really like outcomes. So I really want to see um, the problem of hearing loss in Australia addressed. I, 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 there are 
millions of people in Australia who have a hearing problem. There are, most of them do nothing about it because of the barriers, so I've tried to reduce those barriers. So we've taken some of our signal processing learnings from cochlear implants and tried to make that available to everyone and at a, at a cost that's um, not prohibitive. And then do you have a particular focus on the rural community and people who otherwise oh, don't have access to tech, uh, to medical professionals? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Okay. So we've developed a model um, at Blamey and Saunders where we've got four clinicians and we've got a technology uh, repair uh, in-house person as well and the scientific staff and are really developing a way to work with people all over Aust- Australia by phone, by internet, by taking over their computer and by taking some of that cochlear implant style signal processing and taking it into hearing aids and letting people um, be more empowered and set up uh, hearing hearing solutions in their own time, be it you know they're half an hour out from the paddocks and or um, you know in the city, but that they can really take control themselves. Yes, well, we'll talk more about the business model of Blamey and Sorters and about how you bring hearing solutions to people who otherwise wouldn't have them. And our guest today on Fuzzy Logic is Dr Elaine Saunders. You're listening to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show, and I think we might cut to a bit of Nick Cave now, the mercy seat here on Community Radio 2 X. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, the Mercy Seat here on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. And you're listening to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show with me, Rod, and our guest today, Dr. Elaine Saunders, hearing specialist, researcher, entrepreneur, managing director of Blamey and Saunders, bringing hearing to people who otherwise might not get it. Now, Elaine, we were talking earlier about the Australian Cochlear Research project is a great landmark in Australian science. Mm. It's, it's a conjunction of pure science and bringing something that, actually making a profit for Australia, I should say, as well. But uh, it was a very challenging project, you were saying, and tell us a bit more about that part of it. No, I wasn't in Australia at the very beginning, but I've looked at a lot of what was done there, and I have a lot of admiration for Professor Graham Clark. My understanding is that no one believed that it was possible at the beginning. And he showed his talents, I think, as an entrepreneur in getting together a team of very clever people who pushed it through to find a solution. And that's um, a model I've certainly used working with engineers. I've put great trust in them and reckon that if you can frame the problem right and you've got the right team, they'll solve it. The right people. Now, they said that this couldn't be done. What were the challenges? The challenges really are converting a very complex world of sound into the right signal to get into the, to the hearing nerve. So I, so I talked earlier about the electrode, but there's working out the signal processing itself in that you're taking a very complex world of sound and working out how to get the most essential parts of that for, to stimulate the hearing nerve. Um, they, they, used, they were working on... Um, computers and eventually digital signal processing platforms, you know, probably well before many other industries. So I guess the easy concept of plugging into the brain 
is that it's just USB 3.0, but it's not quite that simple, is it? It's actually a body on the other side of that wire. That's right, a body with um, a personality, um, a brain, intelligence system. So there's a lot about attitude in becoming a successful user of any medical device, I think. <laughs> but you talk about the signal, so I'm kind of imagining this nerve ending and it's got to get some voltages going down. Yeah. Is that what's happening? Yeah, so at the outer end, the, the speech processor that's been designed um, takes the incoming speech signal and there are various... Uh, coding strategies that have been developed over the years by some very very good researchers, um, and one of the research, one of the components of that is controlling the incoming dynamic range of the signal, and we've been working with that with our hearing aids. So my um, business partner and was a, an inventor of one of the strategies that's used in cochlear implants today. So with a little bundle of nerves coming from the ear. Is it one wire, inverted commas, wire is one frequency channel or does it carry the whole spectrum? It represents the whole or the most useful frequency spectrum. So it represents the um, range of frequencies that are most used by our hearing system. There are 22 electrodes in the, uh, in the, in this, within this narrow, tiny electrode. Um, spaced apart so that uh, it can take some advantage of the natural coding of the inner ear. Ah, and we had to work that out in order to make the cochlear implant work. Yes, there were some big divisions in the early days of um, cochlear implants as to whether it was best to put more or less information in. And the Australian team, which um, turned out to be probably the most successful device, um, had a multi-channel approach with a, a more complex stimulus, and I think that was the right way to do it. Well, history has shown that it was. It proved to be the right call. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's not take it as assume that everybody knows how the hearing system works. Let's just backtrack a little bit, and can you give me a little simple description of, so there's this pressure waves coming through the air, and they hit the side of your head, goes into this hole. What happens then? It goes down the ear canal, which is... Um, conveniently um, slightly slightly bent um, that's probably nature's way of trying to prevent too many things being stuck down the ear anyone <laughs> listening who cleans their ear with a cotton bud so I have to put in the bit that says don't do that no, nothing bigger than your elbow is that's what... right nothing <laughs> bigger than your elbow yeah. um, it is there partly for some acoustic reasons and partly to uh, to protect the Ear. So the sound pressure wave hits the eardrum, which is called an eardrum because it's pretty much like the surface of a drum, and when it's hit by a sound wave, it vibrates, and most of the sound goes through because of the um, tension that it's set at. Um, and behind that are three little bones that rock backwards and forwards as a result of the movement of the eardrum. And that really acts for the electronics people out there as a bit of a step-up transformer. Uh, are they called the, the, the hammer and the anvil and the stirrup or the That's common correct. names? Or the stakies and the... I forget In, the other two names. Incas and the malleus, but you're right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so is that providing some sort of mechanical amplification? Yes, is that what it's doing? it is. So um, I've got this, this visualisation of there's the, the membrane of the eardrum connected to these three little levers... 
and the levers are, well, they're levering. Yes, yeah, so well, it's got two effects. One is that it's a lever effect, um, and the other is uh, the, the handle of the first bone, the malleus, um, is quite long and is attached to the eardrum, and the foot of the stapes, which is what connects with the sensory bit, is very tiny, so that's a bit like the high heel in the concrete. Uh, the pressure of the sound is amplified because it's being converted from the initial pressure against um, a big, long handle of the malleus into the tiny footprint footplate of the stapes. So ah. it's just like you know the weight of a person with a high heel on is uh, makes a worse impact on the new concrete than someone who was wearing a snowshoe. Ah, okay, okay. So the whole thing is, 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 is cranking up because the how much does the, the eardrum actually move in response to the quieter sounds? It's, it's very small, isn't it? It's very small, and I have to say I've forgotten. <laughs> I, I, I think I re- was reading before we went on that it's like four atoms wide or something. something. It would be something like unbelievably that. Unbelievably small. It's, it's very, very small. Um, you, you're not aware of sound waves in the air, in the air around you. I mean, they don't hit you so it's, it's, it's we're talking about you know very very small signals right um so the job of the middle ear is is to mechanically enhance that vibration ah so we've taken the transition from uh, variations in air pressure which, me- is, which is a sound wave yeah we've converted that into a mechanical movement yeah in the middle ear yeah and then what happens then what happens is that the stapes are um, hits or vibrates against another tiny window in um, the cochlea or sense organ, um, which is a complex organ which converts the signal into a neural impulse. So that's kind of the connected to the nerve system. So it's in there that it's taking that mechanical impulse and turning it into an electrical impulse. Uh-huh. So, so it's it's a pretty sophisticated little organ, but when and it's very tiny. But when um, there's damage in there, it's usually irreversible. Mm. When there's damage in the mechanical part, it can quite often be corrected by surgery. And many people will be familiar with the condition of a glue ear in children, where they get fluid in the ear and it either dries up or maybe drained away, and it's correctable. It's reversible. So what what does the cochlea actually look like? It looks um it's a tiny shell-like shape. It's a bony outside and inside it's divided into compartments with some thin membranes. Uh it's a very very delicate structure. Um and it's connected to the balance system, so often disorders of hearing and balance go together. Mm. And then it goes into the rest of the grey matter, right? Yeah, so the nerve, um, I'm trying to think how to describe this in words, and not, I'm making visual analogies here to, to Rob. <laughs> well, I want everybody to imagine uh, Elaine's hand waving through space. <laughs> With uh, the nerve going up through the, through the middle of the, of the shell. It's mm-hmm. like if you can imagine um, something like a periwinkle shell, uh-huh. the um, nerve would be going right up through the middle and spanning out through the different um, circuits of, of it. Um, and that going the other way, the nerve then goes through quite a complex pathway up to the brain and it crosses over. So it gets partway up the uh, the nerve pathways and divides, very similar to the optic system, divides so it goes 
up two sides of the brain stem to the brain, which is um, we use two ears to hear, in particularly in background noise, and that's partly why that it's a complex pathway in the brain that takes the sound up both sides. Okay, well, so now with the hearing aid and to help our poor people who have hearing loss, you developed or have been part of the project to develop Australian technology to uh, construct hearing aids. Uh, now, a hearing aid is basically just an amplifier, right? It's a bit more than an amplifier, and the reason is because the coding that goes on in the cochlea is actually a lot more complex than just um, just amplifying, just taking an amplified sound. So when um, with people with normal hearing, you hear a very wide range of sounds, what we call the dynamic range, from the softest sounds you can hear to the loudest sounds you can hear. When you lose your hearing, what happens at different frequencies is that the soft sounds become hard to hear, but the loud sounds sound just the same. Um, so what you have is a very reduced dynamic range of hearing. Now, the challenge for a hearing aid is to get this big wide world of sound and at different frequencies get it into this reduced dynamic range of hearing. Old-fashioned hearing aids, you know, if you went right back to the 20s, 30s, 40s, actually right through to about the mid-80s, would have just been a straightforward amplifier but now they amplify in what's called a non-linear fashion. So the old amplifiers would have just pumped the, the sound up right yeah. across past your level of comfort? They all had, or from, actually I'm not sure what date this would have been introduced, but by and large they had ways of limiting the output so that they were not, they would be past your level of comfort, but they wouldn't be past the level of safety. And they had quite crude ways of limiting the output. Well, so let's just go into the concept of dynamic range because it might not be that obvious. No. And I'm thinking for, for those of us who have digital cameras, if you've taken a picture of a sunny beach scene, you've got your kids dancing in the sand, and then behind is the sun, and the sun is all blown out, and there's this washed out area of your photo. And then at the same time, you've got parts of the photo in the foreground which are dark. So that's the dynamic range because you've got this yeah. balance between really dark and really bright. So is it the case then with the dynamic range that you have this balance between very soft and very loud? Is that the kind that, of thing you're talking that's about? That's right. So you've got to find a way of getting that whole picture in. Of hear, of, so you're trying to hear the whole picture. And to, to do that, what has been used for some time is compression techniques, which does exactly what the word says it takes um, a sound and compresses it and it does introduce some distortion so it takes the tops off the highs it amplifies differently according to the level of the incoming sound right M, you are listening to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show with me, Rod, and our guest today is Dr Elaine Saunders, hearing specialist and researcher, and she has a history with the Australian Cochlear Implant Project, which I'm sure you know about. And hearing is a huge issue for Australian in our population that is ageing, and more of us, as we get older, oh, it's so sad, lose our hearing. Now, um, Elaine, we were talking about the hearing aid itself and what makes the one that you were working on a bit different. And 
I'm very excited to say it's got fuzzy logic in it. Tell us, why would you have... Oh, first of all, what is fuzzy logic, apart from a radio show? Oh, I, I think I'd let Rod explain what fuzzy logic is. <laughs> uh, I see fuzzy logic in... I like putting things in very simple terms. So to me, fuzzy logic is um, applying rules to, uh, to, to get an outcome. Yeah, is that? Yeah, that's how I, that's how I put it. So, so we have a hearing aid that um, my colleague um, Professor Peter Blamey, who has a long history also in the cochlear implant program, longer than mine, and who I think I would classify as a genius, um, he was thinking about how loudness is controlled in hearing aids. One day, in fact, he was doing research on how to set up hearing aids and cochlear implants together. And he felt that the loudness was kind of all over the place in hearing aids. So he, he thought, in typical Professor Blamey way, he thought, I'm sure there's a better way to do this. So he invented adaptive dynamic range optimization, or ADRO, which we use at the heart of our hearing aids, which uses fuzzy logic to keep sounds in the comfortable and audible range for listeners all the time. Uh, and we're able to use a lot of narrow frequency band so going back to your visual analogy like having lots of pixels really to make sure that it's a very clear well represented signal so in order to uh, if we go back to first principles on this one if you've got hearing loss now what, what's a typical profile of hearing loss is it across the range of frequencies how, how does this work where where hearing loss is um just say a natural result of us getting older usually what people notice first of all is a lack of clarity and that's because they're losing either very high frequencies or the coding is just breaking down a bit and we need to find better ways of um, listening and of presenting the sound to the ears so, so that it's a bit easier to hear in background noise so a typical profile from a frequency perspective is that the high frequencies deteriorate. So you don't just lose frequency or hearing ability across the range of frequencies? No, and that's why a lot of people don't realise they've got hearing loss at first because what they notice is that they're not hearing so clearly rather than that sounds are softer. Sounds are probably not softer, but typically people say, oh, I've noticed that other people are mumbling or my children talk too softly, or there are too many foreign accents on the TV, or my boss has got a really quiet voice. So typically people don't ask themselves the question, is it possible I might not be hearing clearly? And that's the important question to ask yourself. Do you ever have trouble hearing? If that, and if the answer to that is yes, then you probably have hearing problems. Now, what would happen if one day I got up in the morning and everything sounds a bit dead? What would you recommend I do? If you have a sudden drop in hearing, I would recommend that you get yourself to the emergency department of the hospital straight away. Uh, if there is a sudden loss of hearing, it's possible there has been some medical cause in the inner ear that may be correctable by medication, but only if you act quickly. Doctors believe that if you get there within the first 36 hours, that medication today often is successful in re reversing or certainly halting that hearing loss. So get to emergency. Okay, so don't muck around if you're losing it. No. And if you're noticing a gradual decline mm -hmm. in your ability to follow conversations, 
go and see an audiologist. Well, possibly, or um, get hearing aid from us on through Blamey and Saunders. But the most important thing is do something about it. Um, if you notice that your hearing's deteriorating, if you don't correct that, it will lead to other problems. And it's not an if, it will. Um, and it, there has been research to look at the psychosocial problems. Untreated hearing loss causes... Um, Gets, people get frustrated, they develop mental health issues, they get depressed. Um, and this isn't sort of occasionally, this is pretty much everyone where hearing is deteriorating. They might miss out on that promotion. Um, they might retire early. But at the, at the other end of it, there's some physiologic things going on too. Once your hearing's starting to deteriorate, those neural pathways are not being used fully. Uh, yes. Now, the reason I got to meet you was because a reader of the Canberra Times sent me this question and they said, if I'm losing my hearing and I don't put a hearing aid in and I'm not use, getting those signals into my brain, do I permanently lose the ability to hear those sounds? What, what, what's the answer? It's not a straightforward answer. Uh, the answer is that the longer you leave it, the harder it is to... Um, to, to regain access to those sounds and if you leave it too long then it is permanent so a lot of elderly people going to get hearing aids find it really really hard to understand the sounds through the hearing aid and that's because the hearing pathways and even possibly part of the brain has just lost the use of coding the sound so it really is a case of use it or lose it? It absolutely it? is. And there's some research about to be published out of the um, Bionics Institute, I think, that Professor Blamey was giving me some insights into. And this is um, research related to likely success with cochlear implants, which has really started to quantify how much you lose. So you can, on a year-by-year -year basis now, start to look at the um, deterioration that's happening. So if you leave it too long, you might not get the benefit. Absolutely. Do you have a sense of how long it, it will take? I, it, I think as soon as, you're, as soon as you're finding difficulty, then you need to do something about it. You're looking at, if I'm quoting correctly, I think about 1% per year reduction in the uh, capability to, to code the sound in those frequency bands. Um, that work hasn't been published yet, and I might not have got that quite right, but I think that's um, of the order of things. Okay. If you, but if you do take action, and the sooner the poth better, these symptoms such as you know depression and frustration go away. It, it, the research has shown that it's reversible. Mm. Okay, now let's go back again to how the hearing aid work, the Blamey and Saunders product works. So I'm visualising this flat line and that line represents the normal hearing response of a healthy hearing system and then there's this line that kind of goes meandering up and down below that line because you've lost hearing in various frequencies. So the challenge is to get that response close back up to the normal line. What's the story? How do we, how do we approach this? So our hearing aid really works like a multiband graphic equaliser so that if somebody listens to it and sets it up to comfort and we in fact just ask people to set four um, chimes so that they sound about the same loudness and roughly comfortable, 
then the hearing aid does the rest. So we're not starting from a prediction. We're not starting from an audiogram and saying, let's make it this loud. We're saying, you set these sounds so they're comfortable, Mm -hmm. and the hearing aid is going to keep the sound in that comfort range in every one of those 32 bands. And as long as you get... If you set those four sounds so that they're about the same loudness... This is pretty much how you set up a cochlear implant, actually. If you get the sounds that they're comfortable and about the same loudness, then um, we ask people to turn it on and then adjust the volume, and most people are good to go. So you you said 32-band graphic equaliser. Yeah. What what did you mean by that? I mean, if you think of um, something like your video recorder that might have a a graphic equaliser display with the lights going up and down the um we have maximum outputs put on that so that it can't be too loud so the fuzzy logic rules we have are that the in every single band the sound will be kept comfortable 90 percent of the time it will be audible 90 percent of the time it will never amplify too much so that uh you don't get annoyed by background noise um and there's some safety limits on it as well so that uh, if the sound is too loud in any one of those bands, it will instantly cut out. Okay. Now, a uh, couple of weeks ago on Fuzzy Logic, when we had Dr. Kate Medill as our guest, she said that uh, radio presenters sometimes suffer hearing loss because of the sound they've got through their headphones. So is it the case that you're modulating or you're controlling how far you amplify that you're not going to damage the hearing any further? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, the hearing aid will probably have... uh, It has outputs that are less than most of the um, consumer devices that you can get today now. Some beautiful mellow tones there of... Nick Cave and the Bad Scenes Into My Arms. And I hope you could hear that, Will, but I hope you're hearing us up to picking up the beautiful strains of music that he was issuing forth there. You're listening to Fuzzy Logic here on Community Radio 2 X, and our guest today is Dr. Elaine Saunders, hearing researcher and entrepreneur. Now, Elaine, is there a particular person in your life who was an inspiration for you to getting into, into this field? Uh, my my father certainly was an inspiration in getting into it. He um, roped me into working with the children in the School for the Deaf in Derby. Um, I don't think I really, as a child, understood his problem, but working with children who couldn't hear uh, w- was certainly an inspiration. So, yeah, my father. I wish he was alive to see what we're doing, actually. Yes, yes. Now, you're on the cusp of science and business and it's a bit of an uneasy relationship I, I guess because other the, the mindset of somebody who's in science is it different from someone who's in business I think that what's important is to value what you're doing and to think about how it can be used in wider wider use I love taking science out into the area where it's going to be used and I know that my colleague Professor Blamey does. So getting science out to people means that everyone can benefit. And there are thousands of people using the technologies that have been developed um, here. Uh, And 
if it had not been commercialised, these technologies would be, you know, written up in a journal and read by a few scientists, um, instead of which thousands of people are benefiting. And I'm thinking, well, how great is that? It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So it's one thing for it to be in a science journal, in a lab, yeah. in a test tube. Yeah. But you're saying that it's made a real difference to people. Uh, yeah. Are there particular challenges that you found in in making a profit out of us out of scientific research? Oh, it's a hard path. I mean, we've got to where we are after a long-ish journey. Um, so it, it can be a hard path going from that lab to uh, a successful business. Australia has some terrific science, some terrific inventions, and we've really got to get very clever at getting that into commercialised outcomes. Is there particular advice you would give to somebody who was thinking of doing something similar to what you've done? Hang in there. Yeah? yeah, absolutely. Hang in there and be determined. I, you know, I I think that's that's what you have to do. You, you've you've really got to have the the idea and the science. You've got to have the passion and the will, and then you'll get there. Are there particular pitfalls that you would say to look out for? Uh, yeah, don't be deterred by failure. Um, we have developed this through um, another company, which was. Uh, the, some of the technologies were developed through a company that was funded by Australian Venture Capital and some Australian government grants. Um, and our first customer, we were selling technology to to other hearing aid companies um, and our first customer went broke. Nothing to do with us, but that was could have been a huge setback. But we just got up and kept going. So the pitfall is don't be deterred. If something happens that's negative... Just keep pushing. Now, you've done something a little different in the way that you're, you're offering this technology to the consumers. How, how is it available? We wanted to reduce the barrier of cost as well as uh, and access. So, And we also believe and know there's a lot of evidence to support that people are very good if they're in control of their own hearing. So we're delivering our technology direct to the consumer over the internet and we've developed a clinical model behind that. We have four clinicians and technical staff, so we can really support people at a distance. And if they have a question, they get to us and it's answered within hours usually, either by phone or by email, or we can take over their computer and help them program. But the technology has enabled us to have a business model that uh, really reduces the cost and reduces the barriers to access. So there's no excuse for people not to do something about their hearing. So if I wanted to get a hearing aid, and as it happens, I do, uh, what do I do? I just go onto the internet, and then what happens? Yeah. Yes, you go onto the internet, find our company, Blamey and Saunders Hearing, and send an inquiry, and we'll always answer every question, either by a phone call or by um, uh, an email exchange. And then they order... Hopefully, most people need two hearing aids, so order the hearing aids and they get a, a programmer box and it just plugs into their Windows computer. Um, as long as the as the recipient, as long as you can use a mouse, you can set these hearing aids up. Uh, it's really simple. Okay, so this box arrives at home. Yeah. I, I peel off all the packaging and yep. with great excitement, I... Yep. I tear it open, or not, <laughs> carefully yep. not to damage what's inside. There's a hearing aid, there's some software. Yes. And then I plug the, do I plug the hearing aid into the computer, or you how, how does it work? plug the hearing aids into a little programming box, which is plugged into the computer, and you launch the software. Uh, there's a little video to show you how to connect the wires if, if it isn't obvious. There's a whole book of instructions, but we make it very easy. 
uh, and then you just listen to four sounds and balance them so they sound about the same loudness and then make sure the volume's right and you're away. Do, but uh, what about the role of the traditional audiologist? What, what do I do there? A lot of people prefer to go to an audiologist to have face-to-face um, contact. In fact, we have our own clinic in Melbourne as well and people come from all over Australia be, to, to see us. Um, we charge a fee for service there. Uh, we charge the same price for the hearing aids, but we charge for our services. So for people who prefer face-to-face, then uh, they can go to an audiologist um, and should do. And often older people will prefer that face-to-face. And also there are, if there are any medical signs attached to the hearing loss, then you should either see a doctor or an audiologist. So if you have ringing in the ears or dizziness or one ear much worse than the other, then it's really a good idea. And we've got some more details about that on our website, but there are hearing loss conditions which can be treated and should mm, be. Mm. Yes, uh, just to relate my personal story here, when I did have hearing loss, in fact, I had on Fuzzy Logic a couple of the old audiologists from the clinic who treated me, and I went and had an MRI scan. And there's a particularly nasty condition called acoustic neuroma, yeah. I think, which is a, a tumour on the acoustic yeah. nerve. And I went into the MRI machine. In fact, I played on that particular program some of the sound effects that you get out of an MRI machine. Have you heard those? Yeah. What, what, what was your memory but, of that? Oh, like, I, I haven't heard them as a patient, but I've, I'm aware of how loud they are. There's some quite good YouTube clips, actually, on how to deal with your first um, MRI. Yeah. And some particularly good ones from children, actually. Yeah? Really? Yeah. I can remember it made this uh, quite alarming, a range of sound like yeah. wah, wah, yeah. wah, wah, clunk, 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 chink, chink, chink. Yeah. And it went on for about oh, 20 or 30 minutes. But luckily, dear listener, I do not have a uh, <laughs> one of those nasty yeah. tumours. It's actually, if I can just interject, we've had people contact. We, we're finding mm. that um, there are often people who come and contact us about thinking they might do something about their hearing and we really strongly advise them to go and see a doctor so we're not we're actually finding that there are people who would have done nothing who are going to do something about a diagnostic condition because they've contacted us so we're, we certainly always send people back to a doctor if we think that that's mm, warranted mm, mm, any with any health condition yes well, that brings us to a close here on Fuzzy Logic, and it has been a great privilege to have as our guest today, Dr. Elaine Saunders. Thank you very much for coming on to Fuzzy well, Logic today. And if people want to contact you? Um, if The best way is to contact us at info at, blamey, at blameysaunders.com.au, info at blameysaunders.com.au, and we'll answer any science questions. And uh, we shall put a link up on our face pa- Facebook, our face page, Facebook page, uh, which you can find on the internet. And also, we will podcast to Fuzzy Logic on two double x dot podbean dot com. And this, thank you for your company today. Catch you next week. Lots more happening on Fuzzy Logic. Looking forward to another great year with you in science here on two double x. Catch you later. Life, life.